This film is Lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian. I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. Look, some of us are lazy, all right? If by lazy you mean wrong. Prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide whether the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers. Because guess what? This film is lit. celebration of exploration, science, the resiliency of the human spirit, and potatoes. It's The Martian, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to the 23rd episode of This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. Today is the 2015 film The Martian, based on the 2011 book the Martian by Andy Weir. We're going to get right into our first segment. Let me sum up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Sometimes we do two summaries. This one, the book and the movie are close enough <clears throat> in their broad strokes that we're just going to go with one summary. So I'm going to give you a little brief synopsis here of The Martian. Astronaut Mark Watney is part of a six-man crew which is part of the ARIES program, which is uh, the United States, NASA specifically's manned missions to Mars. They're on ARIES-3, which is the third such mission to Mars. On their, uh, The crew consists of Mark Watney, Commander Lewis, Beck, Vogel, Johansson, and Martinez. Those are our six crew members. On their sixth day of their mission on Mars, or Sol 6, as it were, there's a sandstorm that forces them to abandon their mission uh, or else they would be stranded there because their rocket would fall over. During this storm, Mark Watney is struck by a piece of debris uh, resulting in what they think is his death because his, his vitals go, go flat. So they leave. Turns out he wasn't dead. The rest of the book is about Mark Watney surviving on Mars until... Hopefully somebody can come back and get him. And then we also cover what's going on on Earth during this time, what's going on with the crew during this time, and how Mark Watney hopes to get off of Mars. So that's your brief summary without getting into any of the specifics, which we'll get into in all of our segments. We do not have a guess who this week because Andy Weir specifically and intentionally did not describe characters in his... You get some description of them throughout... But it's all broken up, and it's very minimal. More so, it's like things about them than how they look. Mm. Like the things with uh, Lewis and the disco and that sort of thing. So there's more character things we find out about them, but not so much what they look like. So we can't really do a Guess Who. I will say this, in terms, in, instead of Guess Who, in the stead of Guess Who, I thought the casting was pretty much spot on from what I felt reading the book. Yeah, Everybody that they cast felt perfect for the role that they cast them in uh based on their personalities and that sort of thing i thought they couldn't have really couldn't have done a better job so 
in terms of yeah their personality how they act the way they go about their stuff my least favorite casting is matt damon <laughs> but that's not even because i don't like it it's just, i think he does a great job uh-huh. i just i think it would have been maybe better with a lesser name but that's mm. about it which but again it, he's 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 great he does a good job and i he he's good in the role i just think if they would have went with a slightly lesser known actor might have been more interesting for its own reasons but he does a great job so i have no problem with him as mark watney let's get in to our New first segment at this point, not new, but now our first segment. Send the book! Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? Katie, we watched the movie The Martian last night. Mm-hmm. I'm going to move this book so I don't smack it over and over, which I have a bad <laughs> tendency to do, which picks up on the mic. What do you want to know Was in the if it was in the book or not? All right. I have a few things. Okay. My first thing. Yes. Um, so the movie starts out, and I think I'm saying this right, in media res. Yes. That That's probably how you say it. Yeah. The movie starts out with during the sandstorm. Right. Well, right before it. Right, right there. before it, we get a couple minutes of like character building interactions yeah. among the crew, and then we go right into the super dramatic sandstorm where they have to abandon their mission. Yes. Um. So the movie kind of starts off by showing us how he got stranded on Mars. Right. And obviously, uh, the book is going to be a little different, I would assume, since it's his journal. Mm-hmm. But does it start out similarly? Or how long do we have to wait into the book until we know how or why he's stranded there? We find out he's stranded immediately, but mm-hmm. it starts very differently. We start with his first journal entry, and the first line of the book, which they they did a, a similar thing early with Mark Watney, it's the first line of the book, and obviously we're, we're, we're not safe for work all the time, but the first line of the book, <laughs> log entry, soul six, I'm pretty much fucked. That's my considered opinion, fucked. And so it starts out after he is back in the hab, after the storm. Okay. And he then goes on during the next, during that first chapter, that first uh, journal entry to describe what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's kind of sets up the whole mission and everything. He lays out the whole first like chapter is kind of like a background on what the Ares missions are. Uh, what his everything who who was on the crew all this stuff and what happened during the storm we then also get uh on like page 135 we get a, a third person retelling of the storm events okay um that is most similar to what we see at the beginning of the movie in fact it's so similar that it's like line for line identical because i was flipping through while we were watching the movie trying to uh because it opens on the storm, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, that's not till like page 135 where we really... We get Mark Watney's telling of basically what happened, or like in the first chapter, but we don't get the actual like, yeah, omniscient narrator version of it, which we get, yeah, like on 135, where we get everybody else's perspective mm-hmm. on what was going on. In the early part, we just get Watney going like, and then I was hit by a thing, and then I, yeah, and then okay. I got back into half. So, there's a slight difference. Um, and I think the way they... We'll talk about it, but I think that makes sense, obviously, mm-hmm. how they did it in the in the movie. Yeah. As opposed to just opening up. I think you could have done it. You could have opened up. The movie could have opened up with a video camera like they use for the journal entries in mm-hmm. this movie. 
of Matt Damon sitting there going, well, I'm fucked. That would have been an okay cold opening, too. Yeah, that And then cut back to the storm, which mm-hmm. is kind of how the book does it. They could have done it that way, but I think with the way they did it was fine, which is jumping right in mm-hmm. with them on Mars and kind of setting all the character interactions up and then getting right into the storm, which is the event that sets off everything. Yeah, no, and I think it was important to have those character interactions um, going into the story proper. Yeah. So that we could see them interact at least a little bit before he got left all by his lonesome you get that's the thing that you don't get in the beginning of the book is you get nothing of any of the other characters Mm -hmm. you don't really meet any of them until page 50 or something Mm -hmm. when we finally leave mars it's just watney and his thoughts and his recollect like his telling of the events that happened so you never know what any of the other characters were saying you never get what what was going on with them while they were on the mav and stuff like that it's just Watney talking about I got hit by a thing, then I woke up, <laughs> and you know I wasn't dead, yeah. and then I made my way back to the hab, that sort of thing. Hmm. So interesting, yep. interesting. All right, uh, coming off of that, and I think I might know the answer to this because you kind of alluded to it while you were talking. Um, does he sustain a horrific puncture wound and subsequently have to perform surgery on himself? Yes. Short answer, yes. Long answer, I'll get into a little more in a later segment, Mm -hmm. uh, in our Better in the Movie, Better in the Book segments. Uh, But short answer, yes. He gets hit by, because it's pivotal to the the story, he gets hit, the antenna, the satellite dish from the Uh top of the hab gets ripped off by the storm, and that's what hits him. And that's important because when the satellite dish gets ripped off, he can no longer talk to Earth. Like, that was his, well, they call it a communication array, I think. That's what hits him and disappears into the distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yes, he does get impaled, but there's a slight difference, which we'll talk about. But he does get hit by debris and stabbed and has a hole in his suit and is worried that or and that is what ends up making them think he's dead because he, it gets punctured through the bio uh, thing that keeps okay. his life, okay. his life, the vitals thing. Yeah, it gets destroyed. And so that's part of the reason they think he's dead is because he flatlines on everything. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that does happen. Does Mark Watney use a cross to make fire? Yes, he does. Uh, that is very, This movie overall is incredibly faithful adaptation, uh, even more so than I remembered mm-hmm. for most of it. They cut some things because it's, it's a 365-page book, and it would be tough to get everything. They do cut some things, uh, and then they add and change a couple things, mainly at the very end, which we'll get to. But... Uh, yeah, he uses a cross because uh, it's the only thing he can burn. Right. So he has to use it to make water. He needs to burn hydrazine in order to create hydrogen. And that whole process is a lot more involved in the book. They kind of streamline. They streamline a lot of the science stuff for the sake of the movie. Oh, which really? We'll get to. I yeah. really felt like there was just so much math in this movie. Oh, if you think like, there's a lot of math and science in this God, movie. They're just shouting numbers at me. If you think it's that's the case in the movie, the book is tenfold that. Uh, which I really enjoyed and found really interesting. And I think it's a, he does a very good job in the book of making it digestible. Mm-hmm. As, as digestible as you can make chemistry mm-hmm. and and explaining how when he burns hydrazine. We had an audio dropout here for about 15 seconds. Didn't really say anything super important. Just expanded on the fact that Andy Weir does a really good job of making the science and the chemistry and the math pretty accessible in the book. The movie just streamlines it even more, and then I go on to continue talking about Martinez's cross. Was that Martinez, who's a devout Catholic, 
it's that's the only time it's really mentioned uh is uh he he brings a little wooden cross mm-hmm. as his personal item and so mark watney cuts it up in order to burn it and i was there's some interesting symbolism yeah there yeah that you could discuss <laughs> with him <laughs> destroying a uh a religious icon in order to uh do science but you know <laughs> it's it's also they also have a similar line in the book where because uh, in the movie he says like i I think you'd understand, or I'm counting yeah. on you to forgive, or something, something like that. Like he kind of makes a joke, which is kind of in line with his personality. In the, I would say it's pretty safe to say Mark Watney in the book is not a religious person. Mm-hmm. It's never really overtly discussed, but it's kind of the vibe you get. But yes, that is in the book. All right. Okay, so the head of NASA. Yeah, uh, t- uh, Teddy. T- played by Jeff uh, Daniels. Yes. Teddy. So, he's not a villain, but they kind of play him like one a little bit. And I, I'm That's pretty on sure, purpose. Yeah, I know why they do it, but I'm wondering if it was the same in the book. It is very much the same. Um, the way, that whole relationship is to represent the, the guy, there's the guy thinking about, Teddy's the head of NASA. He's mm-hmm. thinking big picture. Right. He's thinking big picture stuff. He's not a villain, but he knows... He's thinking about, okay, he's literally, like, when it gets to later in the movie and they have to make decisions about, okay, are we going to take a, a chance? And that's a similar idea in the book or where it's, are we going to take a high percentage chance of saving six people or a low percentage chance of saving one person? And mm-hmm. he goes, or, or, or of losing, you know what I mean? The yeah. opposite, whatever. So it's, it's, a high, it's a high percentage of failure that uh, they'll be able, that if they just try to save Mark Watney... It's a low chance he'll make it back, but if that happens, only he dies. Versus if we send the, all, all of the astronauts back to Mars, it's a higher percentage chance they'll save them, but there's also a chance then that they could die. Mm-hmm. So he's, he has to weigh those things. Like he's, as the head of NASA, making these really tough calls about publicity. About, because he's also weighing like they have future Ares missions planned and they want to make sure they still have funding for those. And if they lose all six astronauts, there's a way greater chance that they're not going to be able to do those missions. So he's weighing all these different things and and being forced to make really difficult decisions. And they do play him against Mitch and mm-hmm. and Vincent to some or Vincent in the movie, which we'll talk about to some extent. Um, they play against each other as sort of that enter uh, the the bureaucracy of right right. Of an organization like that. Right, because we've, I mean, what we've got here, we talked a little bit, I think we mentioned in the prequel episode at least, the kind of parallel action. Yes. Within this story where we have one story that's Mark Watney hanging out on Mars and growing potatoes. Yeah. And then the other story is everybody back on Earth trying to figure out what to do about Mark Watney on Mars growing potatoes. Yeah. Um, So obviously on, on Mars, our conflict is like man versus nature. Yes. Yeah, yeah, man versus nature. Yeah, 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 hundred um, percent. But we need a conflict back on Earth. Yes, yes, and it is, and it, and it's a very to me, it's a very real conflict. Mm-hmm. It feels very real, and it does cast Teddy, who's the head of NASA, in the in the a bit as a villain, but he's also it's a very understandable yeah perspective that he brings to the table. He's thinking really big picture. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of different angles, whereas Mitch is thinking, well, it's just they're the astronauts They're because Mitch is the head of the Hermes crew. I can't. They all have slightly different like Vincent is head of the Ares program, I think. 
And then I, I'm trying because they're all slightly just they're almost all like they just Teddy's the head of NASA. But then Vincent and Mitch have slightly different jobs. Like I think Vincent. Oh, Mitch is the uh, maybe the flight controller or something like that. Mm-hmm. So his whole thing is he's really close with the astronauts. And he's like, we should tell them and let the astronauts make the decision. Right. Because it's their the Commander Lewis. She's in charge. She should be able to make that decision. We shouldn't be making that for them back here. But then Teddy, as the head of NASA, is like, well, that's my decision to make. And I say we do this because I'm thinking about the future. They're thinking about the astronauts are going to be thinking, we want to save Mark. I have to think about them and Mark and 10 missions down the road in the future. So, you know, it, it kind of, it is an interesting back and forth and it does create a good conflict where you kind of like, ah, why are you being a shit head, Teddy? Just (laughs) let them make the decision. But at the same time, you get why he's that way. So, but yeah, a bit of a villain, but, but not really. Okay. Does Mark dip a potato in crushed Vicodin? Or was he actually doing that? Or was that just a joke? Because I couldn't really tell. He was actually doing it. He doesn't, unless it's, uh, I could be missing it. But he doesn't dip a potato in Vicodin in the book. But he does take Vicodin quite mm-hmm. a bit. Uh, a handful of times. Because he ends up hurting himself a lot. Mm-hmm. Doing stuff. Uh, even more so than you really see in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the explosion that happens. Um, there's a part really later in the book where he's moving a bunch of rock and he throws his back out really bad and spends like a week just like doped up on Vicodin healing uh, and stuff like that. And you kind of see the wear and tear on him at the end of the movie where he's all. Yeah, he looks pretty haggard. Yeah, well, by he's the like super thin because he's on super low rations mm-hmm. and uh, he's kind of beat up and that sort of stuff. And yeah, he gets hurt routinely throughout the course of the book. And takes a lot of Vicodin, but uh, doesn't ever crush... Oh, doesn't ever dump it on a plate and eat it with a potato. At least not that he mentions. <laughs> but I thought that made sense. I thought it was a, thought that was a fun little way. Because like I said, they, they do... It references the Vicodin because he does take it quite a bit in the book. But he, yeah, I thought it was a clever way to do that and mm-hmm. kind of make a joke out of it. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I thought it worked. Mark Watney, space pirate. Does he call himself a space pirate? Yes, he does. He 100% like does, uh, and it's the exact same description in, it's the exact same plays out, uh, the exact same way in the book, where he's talking about, uh, in the movie, he does it to the camera, mm-hmm. about how uh, in on Mars, they're under maritime law, and technically, once he gets to Ares 4, he's not been given express commi- permission to take Ares 4, so at that point, he'll be commandeering a ship in international, or in, mar- you know, in international waters under maritime law, which technically makes him a pirate, so he's a space pirate. That's his explanation, and it you know it kind of works. He's mostly being silly, but yeah, yeah he did, that is exactly pretty much word for word in the <laughs> in the book. That was probably my favorite part. Yeah, was there a slight, very very slight romantic subplot between the Winter Soldier and Kate Mara? Mara? I uh, yeah, I don't know how you pronounce it. Mara? Mara? I don't know. Uh, one of them. Yes. It's okay. actually more, it's it's bigger in the, there's more of it in the book. Uh, it's just really that one scene mm-hmm. in the movie where at the end where she kisses him on the Yeah, it kind of almost comes out of nowhere. There, I bet, because there's an extended version, honestly, when we were watching the movie, I, or when we went to rent the movie, there I saw there was an extended version that was like 20 minutes longer. I'm mm-hmm. sure there's more of that in there. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of it in the book. It's like four or five scenes. There is that exact scene at the end where he's going out at the, to on the spacewalk or whatever, and she kisses his faceplate, and he even says, 
she even says, don't tell anybody I did that, like, which is the exact line she has. So that happens. Uh, the, there's some things earlier where at one point Watney is writing letters to all of them during mm-hmm. the time he thinks he's going to die. After the first probe with all the food in it crashes, he's pretty much sure he's going to die. And so he's uh, his the one of the psychologists back on Earth tells him to send like he should part of this. He should send letters to all of his crewmates and talk to them as part of his coming to terms with the situation thing or something like that. So he's, there's each letter. Each chapter starts off with a letter to a different crewmate for a while in the book. And one of them, he sends a letter to Beck saying you should go for it with Johansson or something like mm-hmm. that. Like she likes you too, or something that like illusion. And then there's a moment later in the book where one of the bedrooms on the spaceship is messed up. Like the heating uh, isn't working in it. Oh. Like the heating isn't working in it because they've extended their mission for so long. Less and scandalous than I thought it was. It gets more be. scandalous, kind of. Not really. But one of the bedrooms isn't working because the heating's messed up because they've extended mm-hmm. their mission by like a year or whatever. And so she goes, I think it's Martinez's room. And she says, Martinez, you can sleep in Johansson's room. Johansson, you can just keep, keep sleeping in Beck's room. <laughs> and they're like, what? And she's like, we all know. Just <laughs> just don't let it affect your I work. I don't know how you could possibly think you could keep that a yeah. secret on yeah. a six-man space yeah. mission. Five-man at this point because Watney's <laughs> not back yet. But yeah, and so she kind of makes a, a – she's like, look, we all know. It's fine. Just don't let it affect your mm. your job, basically. And then they have a baby at the end. No. Oh, then we never get to that. Baby. Oh, that we'll talk about that later. Oh, okay. um, but, but yeah, anyways. and so there was a, a few more moments of that. I was curious because I know Hollywood does have a tendency to add. to add romantic plots to things that previously maybe did not have romantic plots. That definitely felt like it could have easily been an ad. Yeah. But no, it's in the book and it's more apparent in the book. Or it's, or it's made reference to more in the book. To Honestly, that little scene at the end almost felt more like something for like where she kisses him. Uh-huh. As, like, a thing for people who read the book. Like, yeah, we didn't forget about this. Like, yeah, like, it happens. Like, you know what I mean? Because yeah. there's nothing else with it in the whole movie, pretty much. So, yeah. I'm going to skip my next question and come back to it. Okay. Does he become a professor at the end of the book? No. No. Well, I mean, maybe, but maybe. we don't ever see that. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a nice uh, yeah. denouement. Yeah. The, that's the thing. The book doesn't have a denouement. Mm-hmm. He gets back on the ship, and then the book ends. Okay. All like, right. he gets back on, and, and they got him, and then he has a little journal on the ship that he, he gives a nice little spiel about... Uh, he gives a little spiel about everybody coming back, everybody on Earth and everything, and humanity coming together to save him, and it's a nice little thing about how, ultimately, humans, that's what we're about. We're about coming together and uniting and, and, and all that stuff, and it's... It's like a little like feel good wrap up at the end mm-hmm. about how everybody came together to save him basically, and then it just ends. Like there's no uh, epilogue or denouement. Mm-hmm. There's nothing after he gets back on the ship. So. Okay, all right, all right. This is my last. Was that in the book? It's the big one. I saved it till the end on purpose. Does nope. Mark <laughs> Watney or does he not Iron Man his way into the Hermes? I'm just going to say one word right now, no, and we'll get to it later. Okay. (laughs) Teaser, but the answer is no. That very much felt like a movie ad. (sighs) We'll get there. (laughs) Let's move along to Lost in Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. Was a lost. Yes, yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. All right. 
Or were you confused about okay, questions? Okay, so have? I don't know. Maybe if I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this question because it might be a better question for like an astronaut. I think I can. Um, so they have to abandon their Mars mission because the storm was going to make their spaceship flip over. So why would they take that kind of ship? Like, why why wouldn't they have a different kind of ship that's not going to, like, topple over? Because, like, it's not cheap to go to Mars. Right. Okay. It's a multifaceted answer to this one. Um, First, because that's the design the ship can be, most likely. They have to have a really powerful rocket. It's a giant rocket. Mm-hmm. Or the, the rocket section. And now in the... We don't really know exactly what it looks like in the book. They don't ever really describe it, but I assume it looks pretty similar because mm-hmm. it, it is the same problem of the winds are going to tip it over. Mm-hmm. And if it tips too far or if it t- and falls over, then they they can't get it back up. So they're fucking stuck there. Mm-hmm. Um, so my guess would be one is why they make it that way. It's probably really rare for this type of problem. The first two missions didn't have it happen. It's possible, but it's rare for the storms to get so strong that it would tip the thing over. This is like a worst case scenario. Okay, if the winds hit blank, whatever, you know, 170 kilometers an hour, whatever they said, mm-hmm. uh, that'll cause the MAV to tip and then we won't be able to launch. So we got to get out of here before that happens. But it's super rare to have storms that speed, would be my guess. Second, it's all bullshit. This is the gimme for the book in terms of the science <laughs> and the physics. Uh, the fastest that sand, like the storms on Mars get is like 60 miles an hour. And mm-hmm. because the air is so, so much less dense, it would never tip over a giant rocket, no matter hmm. how much, like, at the high, the fastest speeds hmm. that Mars has. So this is, and, and he knew this when writing it. It seems like a big science plot hole it's, to me. It's, it's his, from what he said, he knew this. Uh-huh. It was his one, I'm going to take this to make my story work. <laughs> okay, All And right. then everything else I'm going to do, it pretty much is as close to the actual science as he can do. Uh so that's sort of like, yeah, his, as he, the way he describes it from what I've seen in interviews is like, that was my one like, okay, this, this is the, the fiction part of the science fiction. Somehow there's a windstorm that's fast enough, uh, even in, on, in Mars atmosphere, to potentially knock the rocket over. So that's why they have to leave. And that also allows the thing to blow the thing off and hit Mark. And, you know, it kind of allows everything to happen. Uh-huh. And that was his way of coming up with right, a good right, right. Yeah, this, uh, set, uh, situation to get all of the other astronauts off and yeah. leave one of them there. Right. It's the, uh, what's it called? The inciting incident. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's and his inciting incident was where he kind of flubbed the science oh, intentionally. All right. Um, okay. I wanted a, a clarification in the movie, he's making, like, a video diary. He's, like, vlogging, yeah. basically. Um, is he doing the same in the book, or is he, like, physically writing a journal? He's, he's yeah, writing a, in a computer. Like, okay. Like a journal in a computer. Uh, except for one part, which we'll talk about later, he does an audio journal for a specific mm-hmm. reason. Uh, but, yeah, the rest of it, it's uh, he's writing. A, he's just writing it. Okay. But this is where we were talking about in the prequel episode, how do they translate a written journal to film form? They do a lot of it where it's not uh, epistolary. A lot of it is just us watching yeah. Mark Watney. Yeah. But they still keep that element by having his webcam or, you mm-hmm. know, his, his video logs that he does throughout. And they use it quite a bit because they have the cameras on the spacesuits and they have the cameras in yeah. the, the rovers. Yeah. They use it a lot of different ways on top of just him literally talking to the camera. They use it, you know, when him doing stuff, they cut between 
uh, a camera that's not there and a camera that is there in the mm-hmm. universe, which was interesting and a cool way to do that. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's that was an interesting and I thought a, a, not a clever. It's the the way you would do an epistolary format in this in this thing where we're not just watching Mark Watney type. You know, <laughs> he can just talk to the camera. That would not be terribly riveting. No. Um, okay, so I think you mentioned in the prequel, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in the book, he's not a botanist. He is. Oh, he is? Yeah. I thought you said he wasn't. If I did, I misspoke. He is. Okay. I might well, have said maybe he isn't, question. but I, it was before I... Yeah, no, he's the botanist. Okay. He's a botanist, and he has another type, like another specialty. Well, maybe that's what I was like thinking Like maintenance of. guy or something. <laughs> like literally, like he's the two best things he could be. Yeah. To be, it's stuck. Like, if, if Johansson, or if any of the other ones were the people that were stuck there, they were f- screwed, probably. Yeah. He was a botanist, and he was good at fixing things. Like, uh, Johansson's, like, the computer person. She mm-hmm. does all the computer stuff. Vogel's their chemist. He might have been okay. Because mm-hmm. he's also, like, in the, like, he can, like, make technology, and, like, he's a chemist, so he knows some of the science of, like, growing plants, probably figure it out. Lewis, Commander Lewis is a she's the commander. She is her. She has some size. She's a geologist too, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Martinez is a pilot. He, he would be screwed. Like he wouldn't. <laughs> so yeah, he's literally like the only one that probably would have been able yeah. to survive in the situation. Mm-hmm. Which we'll get. And this isn't really going to go anywhere. We can talk about it right here. It's one of my biggest problems with the book, and I get why it's. I really like the book, but I get why they did this. Is that Mark Watney doesn't have flaws really. Mm-hmm. Um, and at no point in the book is there anything that he does that he, he messes up. He makes mistakes when he almost blows himself up and stuff like that. He makes mistakes, but it's more so like, oh, there was a little thing he forgot. Mm-hmm. And it's not like a flaw, like he got too emotional in the moment or, you know what I mean? It's never a, a character flaw. It's mm-hmm. just, I was doing the math and I forgot about one thing. And that almost killed me, which is interesting, and I like it, and I and I like I get what they were going for because they are astronauts. None of them really have flaws necessarily. The one who has the most apparent flaw of anybody is Commander Lewis, and her flaw is just that she takes she's incredibly hard on herself, mm-hmm. and she takes she feels incredibly responsible for Watney being stuck there, even though she shouldn't feel well, responsible. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if being an astronaut precludes you from having character flaws. No, I I, I don't disagree, but if you when you read a lot about astronauts and when they're on their mission, they're pretty much like they, they don't mess around when they're picking astronauts out. They do a lot of psychological testing. They do a lot of, uh, all kinds of testing to mm-hmm. make sure that when you get up there, you're not going to be somebody who freaks out or gets too emotional. Like they don't let those people be astronauts. So it kind of makes sense. And that's one of the, one of the things I really liked about the book is that, when faced with these situations, he doesn't. He never freaks out. He never. I mean, he does to some extent. There are moment. There are chapters where initially he's like, "Well, I'm dead. Fuck this." And then like he'll ha- he'll have an addendum on his log entry where it's like, "All right, maybe I'm not dead. Here's one." You know, like mm-hmm. so he has brief moments of like freaking out, but even then he gets over him really quick. But I like that because I think it's it is a realistic portrayal of how astronauts work. Like they that they're a, literally a different breed of human. They are, they really are like the NASA just doesn't pick people that are going to like not be able to keep their head on their shoulders when shit hits the fan. And because that's always such a problem I have in other movies and I don't want to bring up Prometheus too much, but like in Prometheus (laughs) where they hire a bunch of scientists and astronauts to go on this mission and they're all idiots. They all like freak out at every little thing and they like, 
you know, as soon as something goes wrong, they're all like, we're all going to die. We're all going to like, and that is not how astronauts operate. If something goes wrong and how he says in the end of the movie, he goes, you work the problem. Yeah. You, you figure out what, okay, what's the problem? Then you fix that problem. And then you have another problem. You figure it out. Like, that's just how they operate. And I, I like that there's a, a reasonably realistic portrayal of that in, in media. Cause you rarely ever see it. Mm-hmm. I, I like that about it, but that is still a slight problem with the book is that I'm like, this guy didn't have any flaws. Like he's just mm-hmm. Mark Watney, Uber botanist surviving on Mars. And like, he, you know, he's just fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think they're probably, could have been a way to give him some kind of flaw without making it. Yeah. Oh, this. there's no way this guy could have been an astronaut because right. of this thing. Right. I think what they could have done is had him have a, a, a few moments where he was a little more, when things got to their worst levels, where mm-hmm. he was a little more dejected and... And and not checked out, but uh, where he where he became more sort of unhinged to some extent Mm -hmm. and sort of not just constantly optimistic in the face of incredible odds. Mm -hmm. And there are moments there, but there where he where he becomes pessimistic and whatever. But they they go away. They're so brief and they go away quickly that it's a little like, you know, he just kind of doesn't he faces a lot of hardship. It's the it's the man versus nature thing it's is all the conflict is nature it's yeah. never anything with him yeah it's never anything internal really there's a little bit of it here and there but it's very uh, fleeting anyways i got off on a topic I'm gonna... okay so there's a point in the movie where they figure out how to i am with him basically yeah um the scientists back on earth so they're like chatting with each other uh and he finds out that the crew doesn't know he's still alive. And then he types something rude. But they don't tell us what it is. Yeah, you just see everybody react. Yeah. Like, oh. So does the book tell us what he says? Or is that even part of the book? I guess that's kind of a was that in the book. Yes, to some extent. Kind of. So they tell him we didn't tell the crew. He says, also, he says some other stuff, but then at the end of one of his messages, he says, also, tell the crew I'm alive. What the fuck is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, blah, blah, blah. They say some stuff. And then at the end of that, they say, also, please watch your language. Everything you type is being broadcast live all over the world. To which he responds, look, a pair of boobs. And then types, open parentheses, period, whatever that, <laughs> like a Y or whatever, yeah. period, close parentheses. So it looks like boobs. That's what happens in the book in that hmm. instance. The implication in the movie to me is, is more like he writes out like, go fuck yourself, you fuck. Like, yeah, you know like what I mean? Because they even yeah. say that. They said like he used the gerund and the, like he uses the word, the F word like four different ways is what they yeah. say. Because they kind of describe it. But but yeah, in the book, you just he like is being a goober and just like, look, boobs. And <laughs> draws boobs and yep. So maybe his flaw could be that he's just a little immature. He is. That honestly is his biggest flaw, is that he's immature. But it's never negatively affects him yeah. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the last thing I have for Lost in Adaptation. Um, this wasn't really clear to me when we watched the movie. So can you explain what causes the Hab to blow up and destroy the potato crop? Yes. And it's one of the things I want to talk about in Better in the Book. 
but I can explain what happens. Basically, the hab was not designed to be used for as long as he uses it. It mm-hmm. was designed for like a 31-day mission, mm-hmm. and he's at the point where that blows up hundreds of days in. And he and it also wasn't meant for as many... He goes out and does EVAs. Eventually, once he starts talking to NASA, he's going out to the rovers and stuff like multiple times a day in and out and he uses the same airlock every time and it's just the wear and tear of using because the hab and they don't really make us do a super great job of that you can tell but and they talk about hab canvas later but the the hab is most of it is made out of it's like a tent like Mm -hmm. it's made of canvas um like super strong you know crazy canvas but it is made of canvas and the airlocks are these big metal things that sit in entryways on one or there's three of them technically i think on the hab there might be four but there's at least three and he uses the same one every time mm-hmm. and just the repeated wear and tear of pressurizing and depressurizing every time it kind of moves the fabric a little bit each time and he does it so many times and it was only designed to be used for 31 days eventually it just causes a split oh, and explodes okay okay like this canvas just splits and then when it loses pressure it had, the pressure of the or when it when it, the hole forms, the pressure from inside the hab of all the air ejects the airlock mm-hmm. out. Hmm. Um, but I want to talk about that scene in better in the book. So okay, is all that right. what's next, or is it better in the movie next? Um, we can do either one, which way you want. Let's do better in the movie first. Okay, we'll get put a pin in the airlock sequence. Okay, better in the movie. My life has taught me one. Lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. All right, so this is tough. Uh, Better in the movie is interesting because there are very few things that I thought were necessarily better in the movie. Just this movie is a very faithful adaptation, and they do it a really good job of translating everything I imagined reading the book onto the screen. Uh, relatively speaking. That's a nice thing. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And so the first thing I had was what you described earlier. I kind of like watching the storm be the first thing. And then as opposed to starting out with Watney kind mm-hmm. of describing everything, I like just jumping right into the action. I thought worked pretty well. The spacesuits. This is, again, isn't better in the movie so much as well done in the movie because we don't really see or get the spacesuits described mm-hmm. in the book, but the spacesuits in the Martian are like my favorite spacesuits in any movie ever. Maybe really they're super duper cool. Like in terms of like realistic, uh, astronaut suits, the orange, mm-hmm. specifically the orange ones, I guess they're not spacesuits The they're, um, EVA suits, the ones that they were on the surface of Mars. Cause mm-hmm. they also have like actual like spacesuit spacesuits that they like when they're, at the end of the movie, the white one he's in. Yeah. Not those. Those are fine. Those look like normal, you know, NASA <laughs> ones. But the ones they have specifically for on Mars are super cool with the big glass helmets and then like the like the armor kind of looking. Mm-hmm. And they're orange and they got their names on them. They're really, really cool. Adam Savage is making a replica of one right now. They sent him a copy of one of the actual suits from the movie and he was took pictures of it and got all the measurements and now he's making his own because Jeez. he lives... The best life. (laughs) They make them orange so that they could blend in with the surface of Mars. It's camouflage in case they ran into any Martians. (laughs) So, back to the... We talked about the the impaling scene Mm -hmm. where he gets a piece of metal impaled in him. That's... 
it happens in the book, but it's really quick. And he, and he describes that he went back into the hab, pulled the piece of metal out, and then stitched himself shut. Uh, he does say he injected himself with morphine or whatever around the, and then he stitched himself shut, and that was that. Mm-hmm. In the movie, they add the wrinkle, which I think is more realistic, and it adds for a really, it makes for a really intense scene mm-hmm. where he has to pull a hunk of metal out of himself. Yeah, that is not in the book. He just pulls the thing out and then stitches himself shut, like on the surface, um, which is fine. But I, I thought that it makes a for a very, god, like just intense yeah. scene right off the bat. Probably the hardest thing to watch. Yeah. yeah. And there's a there's a really famous uh in history like a guy in Antarctica operated on himself in a mirror. Yeah. It was like a thing that happened in reality and it, it was very reminiscent of that kind of thing. Uh and so I I thought adding that where he had to pull something out just adds to that like uh like if he mm-hmm. just pulled the thing out and then chunk 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 himself shut it would be all right but Going and digging around and pulling a hunk of metal out makes it way more intense. Uh, so I thought that was a, a fun change. What they do amazingly, and it's one of my favorite parts of the book, is the revelation of where Watney is going on one of his rover trips. Mm-hmm. It plays out almost identically. And I was writing this down because I didn't remember how it played out in the movie. But I was writing it down as I read, read the book that the they do sort of a parallel action thing. Where Watney's driving around and he says in his logs, he's basically the point he's he's testing his rover because he's been deal- messing with the rover and stuff. He's testing it to see how far he can go with the new battery setup he has or whatever. But he says, but I, I have a plan on where I'm going, but he doesn't say where he's going. And then it cuts back to Earth and they're watching him. They're like, where is he going? Blah, blah, blah. And it's that sort of thing. And it plays out where we figure out where he's going from Earth with uh, Vincent and... Mindy, mm-hmm. I think, who's there watching him, and th- they do it the exact same way. They literally in the book, he he Vincent, and I, it's hard for me because his. So this is a better in the book thing. His name's Vincat in the book. His Vincat Kapoor. They changed oh. it to Vincent Kapoor in the movie. They anglicized. Yeah. It. <laughs> um. So I'll call him Vincent just because it's easier for me, and that's what it is in the movie. But so uh, Vincent's they they're watching him and trying to figure out where he's going, and then. Vincent, it kind of dawns on him, and he does run to the break room and pulls a because it's the only place they have a giant map of Mars, mm-hmm. apparently, I don't know, whatever. But and he pulls a giant uh, a map of Mars off the wall because it has it shows where Pathfinder is, and he does the exact same thing. He grabs a ruler and he marks where Watney is and where or where he started and where he is now, and draws a line through it. And he's like, boom, he's going to Pathfinder, and you're like, oh shit, Pathfinder. <laughs> Um, which I think is a fun reveal for space nerds, but also it's just really clever to have him go get Pathfinder so he can talk to Earth, mm-hmm. see if he can figure if he can figure out how to reboot it. So they do that; it plays out exactly how it does in the book, and it was very satisfying because I think that's a good reveal and a fun reveal, and I think they did it kind of perfectly in the movie. He does the uh, once he gets Pathfinder working, they do the hexadecimal communication thing. I didn't remember them doing that. I thought they changed it to him just using letters because they were worried it would confuse people, with, mm-hmm. like with what hexadecimals are. And they don't really go into it. They go yeah. into it more in the book. It's just a computer type of thing, type, like language type thing. Uh, 
and he does the same thing. And he even says in the movie, and I've forgotten all of this, he goes, we can't use letters because there's not enough degrees separating them. I wouldn't be able to tell what it's looking at, which is the same reason in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he does get it working and they've set up all the things and they, that's how they're able to talk initially until he does eventually hack the rover so that they can type back and forth. The other, the thing that I thought was interesting that the movie did and made sense visually was that they use a replica of Pathfinder on Earth mm-hmm. that's doing the same thing the one on Mars is doing. That's never described in the book. They just are at a computer. Yeah. Like inputting commands and that sort of thing. They're not looking at a replica. But I thought it was interesting and it made sense and it makes for nice visual yeah. symmetry between. Yeah, it helps, I think, make what's hap- what's going on a little yeah. bit clearer yeah. Yeah. to an audience. Yeah, so I thought that was clever and that wasn't in the book. The running out of ketchup thing. He never mentions ketchup once in the book mm-hmm. unless I missed it and I'm blanking on it. But I was like, that makes perfect sense when he's eating nothing but potatoes for yeah. m- months and months. That it would be a bad day when you ran out of ketchup. Uh, so I thought that was funny that he makes that uh, makes. I had a note about him. that too. He runs out of ketchup, and I'm like, well, maybe if you hadn't been so cavalier with the ketchup <laughs> at the beginning, because in the beginning of it, he's just like squirting it in the cups, yeah, all willy nilly. Yeah. Like you gotta conserve that, man. Yeah. Uh, the so the Purnell Purnell maneuver is a big part of the book and the movie. Obviously, uh, I think Donald Glover is great in the role, but I also th- think that the explanation scene is really well done, where he has everybody in the room and he's explaining it. That never happens in the book. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a moment where they're in the room and he explains what he's talking about to like Vincent and Teddy and them to kind of discuss it. But there's never like he doesn't do like a big visual like. Mm-hmm. explanation with like pens and staplers and i thought that was clever for the audience to figure out what he right, meant by yeah. this <laughs> i mean and when you move to a visual medium you need a visual explanation yeah. it's a visual explanation and it's it's funny it adds some levity to the because donald glover does a good job of making it kind of silly yeah with his sort of you know his character's a little off a little strange yeah. and and doesn't you know doesn't know who the head of nasa is even though he works for nasa <laughs> uh and but yeah, I thought that was that was well done. They cut a major they they trimmed down the rover expedition from the hab to Ares Four, where he's gonna fly up in the rocket. Mm-hmm. That's like the last sixty pages of the book. It's a long time in the book, and there's a lot of things that happen on it. There's a huge sandstorm that almost kills him. Uh, that's like cutting his because it's a sandstorm that and also this is better in the book, but. Uh, it, he can't talk to NASA at this point, which they mm-hmm. get rid of in the in the movie. He's just able to talk to him the whole time. There's a point where he ruins his communication system in the book after he's able to talk to him for a long time. And then he's back in the dark until oh. he gets to the Mav again or until he gets to Ares 4 where he's going to fly up and then he can talk to him again because the Mav has a comm system. He accidentally fries Pathfinder when he's drilling holes in his... Oh. He's drilling holes in the in the rover so he can make it bigger so he can put stuff in it and he sets the drill on like a table and the table has some stuff that is vaguely touching pathfinder circuitry and the power from the drill connects through and fries pathfinder and he just can't talk to earth anymore Mm -hmm. and so he has to do a lot of it adds another it's an interesting stakes raising at the end because he was going to have them help him through Mm -hmm. the explanation of how to do all these Things that he needed to do the rover to drive it four thousand miles or whatever, and he has to figure it out all, or he has to figure it out himself 
with they've already given him some information, but he has to kind of figure out the rest of it himself, which he's able to do. But so he's in the dark at the end, which is uh, I kind of like that in the book, but in the movie they don't do that. And part of the reason is I think is that when they cut uh, they cut the sandstorm thing that happens, whereas mm-hmm. if they could talk to him. That wouldn't be a problem because in the book, it's a problem, the sandstorm, because he can't see it. Mm-hmm. It's like so subtle. But once he gets into it, there won't be enough light for him to get out of it because mm-hmm. his solar pattern, solar panels won't recharge enough because the air will be too blocked. Um, and they have no way to tell him about this storm. Whereas if they could talk to him, they'd be like, hey, you're driving into a storm. You need to go this way. So they got rid of that. And then also at one point, he crashes the rover and flips it over and breaks a bunch of stuff and has to flip it back over and reconnect the rover in the trailer it's a thing i i actually like that they kind of streamlined all that stuff out at the end because you kind of it kind of feels like it's not stalling but at that moment you're worried about let's get to the end where he's gonna fly in a rocket up into space right uh we he survived all this stuff here and now we're about to get to the part where he's gonna fly into a rocket into space and see you know the actual climax of the film this just kind of feels like padding yeah it feels a little like extra yeah we don't really need that he got there you know like Mm -hmm. sure it was rough getting there but it's not super necessary this one i'm torn on so in the movie they change it in the book beck is the eva specialist he is in the movie too uh, eva stands for extravehicular activity in the book beck is the one who goes out and gets watney okay in the movie they make commander lewis go back and suit up and go get him Mm-hmm. I'm torn on it for these reasons. I, I dislike it because it makes no sense because Lewis is a good commander and she knows that Watney's best chance is with Beck because this is what Beck does. This is what he has trained for is mm-hmm. these sort of things. He's good at flying the backpack. Like that's his specialization. And Lewis is a good enough commander and smart enough and rational enough that she wouldn't decide to go do that in fact the part where she tells him to unclip her later is is in stark contrast to the book like in the movie she says her thing won't go far enough and she tells him to unclip her so she can go get him yeah in the movie it's lit or the book it's literally opposite where beck says look i could unclip and i could go further if i need to like when they're talking about it when they're planning it and she's like no absolutely you cannot because she's worried about all the crew mm-hmm. and not just mark I, the, the, what I like about it, so that's kind of what I dislike about it. What I like about the change is that it makes sense for the, Lewis's character arc of her yeah. feeling very responsible. Yeah. And it gives us a more satisfying emotional moment at the end with her being the one to go get him because she feels like she was the one that left him there. Right. And, and as an audience, too, we've spent at least a little more time with her than yeah. we have with Beck. Yeah. So I get it. And I, I like it for that. It's just, it, it, I, like I said, I'm torn on it. I think overall I like it more. I don't like all of it, which we'll get to here in a second. But mm-hmm. I like her being the, per- I think I like the change of her being the person to go try to get him. Thematically. Execution of that whole scene we'll talk about. <laughs> Finally, uh, what we talked about earlier, the epilogue where he becomes a teacher or a professor mm-hmm. and all that. None of that's in the book. I like that. It's nice to have a little you know, cap off at the end yeah, of the movie. Yeah. That was one of the things I didn't actually love about the book was that it did just kind of end. I would have, wouldn't have hated an epilogue of some sort. Yeah. Um, and so we get that, we get, you know, all, uh, Beck and Johansson having a kid and Martinez with his family. Well, Martinez going back, which I thought that was interesting because he has a kid too, mm-hmm. but he goes back on Aries five, I think. 
um, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, so just kind of summing everybody, wrapping everybody up. I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I like that. That was a nice change. And that's it for Better in the Movie. Um, overall, though, just to sum up on Better in the Movie, they do a lot of things really well. Uh, this it's it's just a really faithful adaptation, and there's very little that they do better. There was a few things that I mentioned. Most of it's just doing the book really well, mm-hmm. which is a, an achievement sometimes for yeah no, totally. <laughs> for our show. So <laughs> let's move on. To better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. One thing I like, and now I can see why some people would say this is better in the movie. I, do, I don't necessarily think so. They streamline all of the farming stuff early on. That's mm-hmm. like the first hundred pages of the book. And now I find it really interesting uh, and fascinating for him to be doing all this. He does a bunch of math about how much food he needs and 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 how much soil he needs and how much water he needs and how he's going to make it and uh, da, 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 all these different things. And and there's several different processes in making the water and we really only see one. Um, although that one is very accurate-ish to the to the book where he builds that like tent thing mm-hmm. and burns hydrazine and and that's what happens and then he does cause an explosion but it's slightly the reason for the explosion is slightly different in the in the book but it's close enough ish kind of but i just liked in one of the things i liked about the book was all of the problem solving and all of the sort of seeing his thought process Mm -hmm. and that just gets streamlined quite a bit in the movie for understandable reasons because we got to get to more of the you know there's a lot to get to in the two and a half hours i just like that I like that the math, the science, the the pro- the problem solved more than anything that more than the math and science. I like the seeing the thought process of how somebody would figure out these problems. Well, it's because you're a big old nerd. Sure, and we get that in the movie. We get him problem solving, but that's really what this book is all about: is extreme problem solving. Yeah. And so seeing all of that process is really interesting to me. And we just get sort of a streamlined version in the movie. It's mm-hmm. pretty well done, but it's like seeing all of it. Uh, I talked about Vin, uh, Vincat Kapoor instead of Vincent Kapoor. I, I just don't know why you would change that. I mean, other than to anglicize it. And maybe because the, the guy, they they didn't get an Indian American or they uh, they got Chewedal. I can never pronounce his name. Ejiofor, Chewedal Ejiofor, who I don't believe. Maybe he is Indian. I can't remember. Oh, I don't know. I thought I thought he was. He might be. I thought it was. Like it was a very diverse cast. No, it is. Yeah, and and that's how the, all of the characters. Martinez is Hispanic in the book. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Johansson's a, a woman. Lewis is a woman. Vogel is German, I believe, or yeah, German. But yeah, it is fairly diverse. But most of the diversity is inherent to the book. Like yeah. most of the people are described as whatever they are in the movie is how they're described in the book. Oh, his parents Nigerian. are, yeah, Nigerian. That's what I thought. I thought it was from an Africa, or his parents are from an African country, but I couldn't. So that's, I think, maybe part of the reason, but they still left Kapoor. I don't know. Yeah. Eh, anyways, I just thought it was an interesting change. Uh, one of the things, and they maybe they left this in, and I just didn't see it, and because it, it could be a little Easter egg for book readers. <clears throat> and it's a throwaway line in the book, but they all have tattoos. They all went out before the mission and got tattoos of their Mars numbers. Hmm. Because there's a line about how uh, one of them like was really scared about doing it. I, anyways, it's like a character moment. But they, I thought it was cl- kind of neat. Uh, they all go and they get tattoos of whatever number person they're gonna be on Mars. 
So there's been two Ares missions before them with mm-hmm. six people each. So they're 13 through 18. So that like one of them gets it. I think Lewis was the first one out of the ship. So she has a 13 and then on down the line, like as they step foot on Mars, that's their number. So they all get a tattoo of their number. That's cool. Yeah. And I thought that would be a cool thing to somehow show at yeah, some point. Yeah. Little like hmm. not make a big deal. And maybe they do. And I just didn't see it. I was kind of looking for it, but not super hard. I mean, to be fair, they are kind of like covered up a lot right. of the time. It would be tough. I don't know. But you, there's times where you can see their wrists. Because like, that true, would be a place yeah. to get it would be like your wrist. Yeah. Or something like that. You know what I mean? Would seem like the kind of place you would get that. Maybe. I don't know. In the book, when Pathfinder gets a signal... Mark Watney cries because he can finally talk to Earth again. Mm-hmm. And this is really the first moment where he actually thinks he might survive when he finally gets a signal on Pathfinder and things. He doesn't in the movie, although there is a really good moment uh, that's very emotional at the end when he's in the rocket and they're counting down. Yeah. And he starts crying, which isn't reflected in the book. So they kind of moved that. And I liked that. Mm-hmm. So they kind of changed where it happened, but uh, I thought it it definitely added to his character and so i did actually because that scene uh, that scene at the end does actually make me kind of choke up a little when he's in the rocket and i'm about to blast off it moves his uh that to a more immediacy of like this is the moment where i'm either gonna live or i'm going to die right now so we'll see what happens (laughs) this is not necessarily better in the book but it doesn't make any sense in the movie he he builds that little tent thing to make water there with the thing where he's burning Mm -hmm. he leaves that running throughout the whole movie it's set up throughout the whole movie and burning, and but that makes no sense. He only has to make water once. He does it yeah. one time, and then once it's in the system, his water reclaimer just recycles it. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't need to keep making water. So I don't know why that thing's still there burning like way later in the movie. It's not. Doesn't make any sense. That's true because it would eat up oxygen too, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Although he has an oxygenator and he has other stuff. So I don't know if it would be a problem, but it just he just wouldn't set it up. There, like it so just, there's he would, just no reason for there's it. There's no reason to be there at that hmm. point. Like later in the movie, he he's made all the water he needs. He has extra water because when he makes the explosion, he accidentally makes a bunch of extra water from the explosion, <laughs> basically. Well, he just makes a bunch of it at once, yeah. pretty much. Okay, the airlock sequence. The airlock sequence is really intense and really well done in the book. For a bunch of different reasons. One is the lead up to the airlock sequence, which we get none of in the movie, which I think is part of the reason you don't understand. You didn't know why mm-hmm. it happened. In the book, we start about halfway through. We start getting these interspersed sections that are in italics of a description of how the Hab canvas is made. And then we get like one paragraph every chapter. And it starts at the beginning of the process. And then the next chapter is a little bit more of the process. And then it gets in later and it's like, and then they fold the hab canvas and it goes from here to here to here. And it gets flown from here to here and it gets inspected by all these people. And then, it, and, and it starts specifically mentioning one sec, like section 109A of the hab canvas is specifically talking about. And this is all leading up to that's the section that fails. Mm-hmm. So it describes the whole process of how it's made and how at one point, it says, before the, the airlock blows off, it says, like, one of the last things we see of the description says, and there was a, something happened that resulted in a four micrometer wide tear in this one section of the hab canvas. And we're like, oh, shit. What's, <laughs> like, that's not good. What's that going to be? And they're like, and it wouldn't be a problem, but it's by the airlock or something. I don't remember exactly how it plays out. 
But so we get this building of this, like, what? why are we getting this? Like, why is he telling us about how the HAB canvas is made? And you're one, and so it's building this tension. Like, what is this mm-hmm. building to? What is this building to? And then the moment happens where that, and it's actually the first non-epistolary moment on Mars. Mm-hmm. In the, well, other than when we go back and get the recap of the beginning uh, of the movie. But it's the first moment with Watney by himself on Mars where it's, it is a third-person narrator describing the events of the airlock being blown off. And it's, but those two, narr- those two uh, narratives meet where the, the buildup of this Hab canvas, this one piece having a defect in it, mm-hmm. and then the moment where the Hab canvas rips and the airlock gets blown off. So that's really cool. I like that, that sort of why are we getting this, this tension building, oh shit, He's fucked. Um, then this is the only other part where we get audio logs. So when that airlock flies off, Watney his 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 uh, face mask completely breaks open. Uh huh. So he doesn't have like in the movie it cracks a few times and he puts um, duct tape over it. Mm-hmm. In the book it busts out completely, mm. and he is now trapped in a in the airlock like two hundred meters from the hab. The airlock is also losing air, and he doesn't have a spacesuit that he can be in. So in the movie, he just walks out after he puts the duct tape over it and his suit holds a seal. He just walks out of the airlock and walks back into the hab and gets a new helmet. In the movie, he's in that, in the book, he's in the airlock for like a day and a half. He finally figures out how to seal the cracks. He finds the cracks in the hab. He has to make a fire so that he can (laughs) find the cracks in the airlock. And then he seals those with duct tape, I think, or, or resin or something. Mm-hmm. And then he he has a patch kit for his suit, and he cuts one of the arms off his suit and glues it over the face hole and then glues the arm shut and keeps his ar- other arm inside the middle of the suit, basically. Mm-hmm. And so he's in this really leaky suit, and then he, he, <laughs> he rolls the airlock back to the hab by slamming against the side of it. And rolling it, because it's on its side facing the hab. Uh-huh. He rolls it. He slams his back against the, the hab because they're in low gravity. And he, like, pushes off and and hits the other side. And rolls the hab over the course of, like, a day. Or the airlock back to the hab. And then, so that way he's close enough so that, because he knows his suit's going to lose air. So that way when he gets out of the airlock, he can get inside really quick. And then he grabs another helmet uh, and another suit or whatever. And gets and is gets it gets into a rover, and then gets a new suit on, and then goes back in and starts fixing the hab and all that stuff that that happens in the movie. But it's this big long sequence of like, it, it was the moment where I'm like, how is he gonna get out of this? Mm-hmm. Like, how in the world is he gonna get out of this? And in the movie, they just kind of really quickly, he just puts some duct tape over his thing, and then he walks out of it and right. And 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 I guess to be fair, the big thing is all the crops are dead. Yeah. The movie is, is way more focused on that. Which is important, but I just really like that sequence of him figuring out, like, all... Again, it's a similar thing to earlier, where it's like, I like seeing step-by-step step how he gets through this, like, how... Because he, his faceplate is completely broken. Yeah. And he's uh, 200 meters from the hab in an airlock that's leaking. And it's like, how? How could you possibly get out of this? And then he figures out a way. And in a way that makes sense and seems, you know, like, holy cow, yeah, that would probably maybe work. And so I find that I find that fascinating. So mm-hmm. I was a little disappointed that that sequence wasn't longer in the movie and didn't have all of that stuff going on. In yeah. It, but. 
I talked about this earlier. Uh, he loses contact with Earth before the trip because he fries Pathfinder. I like that because mm-hmm. I like that he there's some added tension of yeah, it's interesting that he can't talk to Earth anymore, and it, and it adds, and especially since the whole sandstorm bit, which is kind of interesting, and especially how he figures out how to get out of the sandstorm once he figures out he's in it, it's all interesting, but it wouldn't make sense. If he could talk to Earth, so he had to be able or had to not be able to talk to Earth in the book for that part. So yeah. I like that. Um, but when they changed the whole rover trip in the movie, I can see why they didn't get they just left mm-hmm. him being able to talk to him because it didn't really matter that he couldn't at that point. Final thing, and this is the big one. We put the pin in the Iron Man moment. Yeah. The Iron Man line is it word for word from the book. Hey, Watney said over the radio, I've got an idea. Of course you do, Lewis said. What do you got? I could find something sharp in here and poke a hole in the glove of my EVA suit. I could use the escaping air as a thruster and fly my way to you. The source of thrust would be in my arm, so I'd be able to direct it pretty easily. That's word for word from the movie. Mm-hmm. How does he come up with this shit? Martinez interjected. Lewis considers it for a second. Hmm, could you get 42 meters per second that way? Watney says, no idea. And then she says, I can't, I can't see you having any control. If you did that, you'd be eyeballing the intercept and using a thrust vector you can barely control. I admit it's fatally dangerous, but consider this, I'd get to fly around like Iron Man. We'll keep working on ideas, Lewis said. Iron Man, Commander. Iron Man. And then she says, maybe it's not such a bad idea. And Martinez goes, what? No, it's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, yeah, that is a terrible idea. But, and that's where they come up with the idea to use the bomb. They do all that's the same. They, they make a bomb. They blow a hole out the front so that it slows them down. But, so it's dismissed. That's the line in the book. They say that. They make the jokes. It's like word for word the same scene. But then in the movie, he does it. And I couldn't believe that they did that. It's So the final scene in the book, Beck flies out and gets them. Mm-hmm. And then they come back. Like, it's it's kind of anticlimactic. And I think the movie was like... This isn't drama. There's not enough drama here. Yeah. If Beck just flies out, gets to all the, to be fair, to me, all the drama is in all the stuff before that. And the, oh, we're going too fast. Oh, we're off course. Oh, we got to, okay, okay, we're going to burn the jets. Now we're going way too fast. Oh, how are we going to get, how yeah. are we going to slow down? So we're going to build a bomb. I mean, they make a bomb. I don't know how you get more climactic than a bomb, but I guess the, I still can understand the moment where Watney gets saved. They need it to be a bigger moment. So they, they, they add this, like, <sighs> I still think. All they had to do was not have him do the Iron Man thing. Yeah. Just if you want, have Lewis go get him, have her not have enough rope and, and, and honestly have her detach and go try to get him and get him and come like, do whatever you want. Just the Iron Man thing is so silly. Like it's, it looks silly. It doesn't really make any sense. It's really annoying because it's something that is brought up in the in the book and then dismissed out of hand. Yeah. Like to then decide, no, we're gonna do that. It's like, God. And then and then it doesn't make any sense in the movie because it just stops shooting out air all of a sudden. Like, I guess the idea is he's holding it shut, but like Mm -hmm. eventually he uses it to fly for a long time, but then after a while, it just stops it stops venting air. And for some reason, it still would be. I'm not sure why it wouldn't be still, unless he. I think it would be tough to hold that shut or whatever. Yeah. And then on top of that, there's never any. There's never. They're never like, unless I missed it. They're never like rushing against time now to get him into the spaceship because he has a hole in his spacesuit. Yeah. He has a hole in his spacesuit. They're like gonna be like, oh shit, you're decompressing. We have thirty like thirty seconds to get you in the ship. 
Which, if at least then, it would have been like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. We got to get him in right away because he's gonna die in thirty. Like he's gonna get killed by the vacuum of space here if he, if we don't get him inside quick enough. But they don't do that. I just I hate everything about that decision to make him punch a hole in his spacesuit and f- fly. And also, it, it sucks because they already did that in Gravity. Like if you've seen the movie Gravity, she uses a fire extinguisher oh, to fly no. around, I, which is mm-mm. it's silly <laughs> enough as it is. But like, I just I couldn't believe they did it. I was like, why, why? And I don't, and I'm not even. Maybe it would work. I'm not even arguing whether or not it would necessarily. Like, I don't even think it's necessarily. I think it. There is all the issues I've said where it would still keep venting, and then on top of that, now you have a very limited amount of time to get him into the spaceship before he decompresses and dies. And they don't really talk about any of that. They just kind of hand wave that away. Yeah. But. Just, I just, I don't know why they decided that was necessary. You can still do all the stuff they did with the end and the rope and the tether and them wrap, like all of that. You just, because in the, that's the other thing in the in the in the in the book, he's not far enough away where he has to do that. Mm-hmm. He's close enough where he can go get him. So just make him pretty, make him a little bit closer so that. He has to, he doesn't, he, um, make him, uh, just far enough away where she can't reach him, but he has to climb and then jump. Yeah. And push himself out of it. And then you get a great moment of him, like, flying at her, you know, like, you could still do that. Like, you could do that same thing. And then you don't have a guy flying around with a hole in his spacesuit at the climax of your movie. So disappointing. <laughs> I, it, it doesn't ruin the movie for me, but it, I mean, at all. It, I, it doesn't ruin the movie for me. It's just so disappointing. Yeah. It's just so disappointing. Because the rest of the movie is so good. And then there's this one moment at the end where I'm like, why? <laughs> why would you do that? Uh, it's so, uh, it's frustrating. But yeah, that's that's my better in the book. That he doesn't fly around like Iron Man. He just gets saved by competent <laughs> astronauts. <laughs> I'm not sure if I have any other general notes. Uh, we probably should wrap this up anyways. Let me double check yeah. here real quick. Um, oh, this is a thing that's in the book. In your face, Neil Armstrong. A lot of those lines are all in the book. Like the yeah. big like lines from the trailers that everybody remembers. In your face, Neil Armstrong. Like that's in the book. I th- I liked it. I thought it was interesting that they the first thing Watney says on Mars after he goes and he pulls the thing out of himself, he says, fuck. Mm-hmm. And I was like. Because that's the first thing he says in the book. So that, I thought that was a nice kind of yeah, homage to yeah. that. And in, it, and in theaters, it was PG-13. So that was their only one, I think. I assume they used it there. Uh, oh, was it? Our version had two fucks. But that was our, oh. ours wasn't a theatrical cut. Oh, okay. <coughs> because it was PG-13 in the theaters. And you get one F-word usage for a PG-13 <laughs> film. So... Oh, the rating systems are weird. Yeah. Also in the book, Annie cusses a ton. She does a bit in the movie, uh, Annie, who's Kristen Wiig's character. Like, mm-hmm. she's dropping the F-bomb like every other word in the book. Which, <laughs> that's kind of the joke, is that she's the PR person, but she, like, constantly cusses <laughs> whenever she's not talking to the media. Oh, and then Project Elrond, I just want to bring this up because I thought it was funny. Uh, that is in the book where she, uh, when they're discussing the Purnell manu- maneuver, mm-hmm. and they said it, they call it Project Elrond. And then mm-hmm. Annie's like, what the fuck? Like, Project Elrond, what's that? And then she calls them all nerds or whatever. I just think it's funny because 
who's at the Council of Elrond, Sean Bean, yeah. playing Mitch Henderson. Obviously, uh, Boromir, <laughs> who was at the Council of Elrond, or Council of Rivendell, or whatever it's called. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was a fun like little moment where I'm like, Sean, he can't get away from these Elrond, Councils of Elrond. No man. <laughs> it's in a movie about space travel, and he's still a Council of Elrond. I had one thing okay. that I wanted to mention. Uh, Donald Glover's character on his desk, he has a blue bobblehead cat, I noticed. And as you know, I've been reading Saga by Brian K. Vaughn, and I love it, and I recommend it. It's eight volumes right now. I consumed them. <laughs> There's no movie, which is unfortunate, because that means we can't discuss it on here. But I love it. So anyway, I'm not saying that the blue cat on his desk was definitely Lion Cat, but I'm going to pretend that it was Lion Cat because I like that. Could have been. Could have been. Could have been. I have one more thing that I meant to bring up and better in the book. Okay. And we can talk about it now. It's really great and I'm really sad they didn't talk about it in the movie. Uh, it's a little morbid, but I thought it, it's played as a joke at the end of the book to some extent. So when they when Hermes decides they're going to go back to Mars, mm-hmm. and they commit mutiny. That all happens the same in the book. They talk about being it being mutiny and that sort of thing. All that plays out the same. Mitch sends it to him secretly in an email. All all of it's identical. When they're going back by Earth, they're so they have to get the food to resupply. Implication being, if they don't get that probe full of food, they're all going to die because mm-hmm. they won't have enough food. In the movie or in the book. They have a plan in the event that they are not able to get the food. And it plays out in a discussion between Johansson and her father. When they're circling Earth, they're able to talk to each other in real time since they're so close. And right be- this is right before they pick up the probe. And her father's talking about how scared him and his mom are for them and that sort of thing. And she goes, look, even if we don't get the probe, I'll live. And he's like, what? what? And she goes, we have a plan. If I don't get the probe, the other four are going to kill themselves, and I'm going to eat them. Ew. No joke. That's a legitimate contingency plan that they had, because Johansson is the smallest. <laughs> is the other, is the main, she's the youngest and the smallest, I believe. Uh, so she requires the least amount of calories. Oh my god. So that is a little legitimate contingency plan they have in the book, is that they were all going to uh, take cyan- or morphine and kill themselves. If they didn't get the probe with the food, and then she would have whatever supplies they had left and then eat them. And it would be enough to get her back to Earth. (laughs) And they don't mention that in the movie. And I was like, oh, come on. And Because there's a nice little moment in the book when they do get the probe where Martinez is joking with her. And he's like, who would you have eaten first? You would have eaten me first, wouldn't you? You always did like Mexican or something like that. <laughs> like, there's some good jokes about it after they realize they're not going to die. But I I liked that. I thought it was an interesting kind of thing into the way the contingency plans that people like that mm-hmm. come up with. Anyways, let's move on to the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict Here's the thing. When it comes right down to it, there was one deciding factor. And it's the Iron Man bit. <laughs> the book's better. 
in my opinion, if the movie hadn't made that change, I might have given it to the movie. Because mm-hmm. the, the thing is, it, it's not... The movie is just the book. Like, it's one of the most faithful adaptations I've seen of a source material. Mm-hmm. As, as, or at least as faithful as you could feasibly be to a book that has as much technical uh, jargon and math and science in it. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, and is 370 pages, and you're trying to fit it into a two and a half hour movie or two hour and 20 minute movie. And half of it's a diary. Yeah, 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 and and so they obviously change all the di- a lot a yeah. lot of the diary stuff, but they still leave that in. There's elements of that. Mm-hmm. So many of the scenes are literally word for word from the book. Like it, the, the scene on the storm. I I was literally opened the book and was looking at it. The storm when the, everybody all the lines they have are all identical. All of the numbers are identical. They do change this, which is really weird. The storm happens on Soul 19 in the movie and in Soul 6 in the book. I'm not sure why they made that change. Mm. It's the sixth day of their mission when it happens in the book and the 19th day in the movie. I'm not sure why they changed that, but that, uh, whatever. But everything is just identical. All the com- all the, li- all the best lines from the movie are from the book. All of the best moments. It's so faithful. And then they do the Iron Man thing. And it's... Eh. <laughs> but apart from that, it's a great movie. It's a great adaptation it's a great representation of science and, and the spirit of exploration and the resourcefulness uh, of humanity and what smart people can do in tough situations. Yeah. I, I was even thinking while we were watching it, if I was a science teacher, I would show this in oh, class and like yes. pause it and we would talk about what he did and yes. like the science behind it. The science it. behind it, because it's all pretty solid science. They streamline it some. But uh, and even more so to me, the thing that I love and I loved about the book is the failing and then overcoming your failures. Because mm-hmm. I guess, well, like I said, he doesn't really have character flaws. He does fail a lot. He messes up a ton and makes mm-hmm. all kinds of mistakes and does all kinds of stupid, like not even stupid, but just like things he didn't think about or whatever that messes up that we all run into in our daily lives all the time. And for us, it's usually just an inconvenience for him. It could be the death of him. Yeah. But he then figures out a way to overcome that. And I think that's the thing that's really sticks with you about the book is in the movie is overcoming your own failings and not, and persevering in the face of your own failure, which is like the core message of the book to me. And on top of that, all of humanity kind of coming together because China helps and, 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 yeah, I, and yeah. everybody is rooting for him and all this sort of stuff. And it sort of represents the way that exploration and and space exploration can bring humanity together and i really love that about it and so yeah it's just it's a great book it's a great movie but the book doesn't have him flying around like iron man so book's better so chalk one up for the books (laughs) that's gonna do it for the 24th episode of this film is lit that was the martian katie what's wait we're gonna tease you with what's next and first ask for you to go give us a rating and a review on itunes stitcher anywhere you download our lovely podcast they're very helpful we're up to 22 ratings on itunes which is cool also make sure you subscribe i'm sure most of you do that are listening but that is also a very helpful you can also follow us and find us on any of the social media facebook twitter reddit goodreads anywhere just look for this film is lit you'll find us now katie what is our next book and movie. I have bad news. What? We've been saying episode 24 no, this it doesn't entire matter. time. It doesn't matter. It's episode 23. 23, whatever. 
<laughs> we really need to start checking that before Whatever. we start recording. Episode 23. That's so, going to do it for the 23rd episode. <laughs> now what are we talking next about? Next time, we will be talking about Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Sweet. You're reading it. I am. Not me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one will be a preview of Jurassic Park. Uh, we'll also be learning something with this film is lit. Uh, not sure what that's going to be yet, but we'll see. When we get there. Cautionary tales, maybe. That was what I was thinking. I know. We'll see. Yeah. But until then, guys, gals, non-binary, everybody else, keep reading books, keep watching movies, keep being awesome. Be like Mark Watney. Don't give up when you fail. <laughs>